0: And I guess Jenna. Hey, Jillie. We are so excited about today's guest. Jenna, real quick, give us a lowdown on what we're going to be asking our listeners
1: this week. If you are a part of the Gut Talk fam, we would like you to, one, subscribe to our podcast and two, give us a little rate and review, if you will. It helps us out a lot.
0: We'd really appreciate it. And now, without further ado, we have America's Gut Doctor on the podcast today, Dr. Vincent Pedre. And we are so excited because our goal when we bring on experts to the podcast is we want them to break it down for us. We are not trying to confuse anyone. We want basic gut health for dummies type information. And we really feel like we have achieved this with Dr. Pedre. He gives us a lot of really great tips, mm-hmm. easy things that we can do to make changes to help us, but he helps us also
1: understand gut health better. Would you agree, Jen? Absolutely. And he is the author of Happy Gut and his new book coming out in April, The Gut Smart Protocol. So not only does he have these amazing books, he's also an amazing teacher to where he's able to break this down into a very digestible format.
0: I will say that Dr. Pedre's book was very relatable for me because he talks about those people who go to multiple doctors, Western medicine doctors, which he himself is trained classically And they come back with no results. Oh, everything looks clear. Everything looks fine. And that's really what drove him to getting into more holistic medicine is because he realized how many people were going undiagnosed or weren't getting solutions to their problems. He's very
1: solution-based, which we love. But Jenna, what are some topics they can expect today? Yeah, so we dive deep into bloating, what it is, what causes it, and what to do about it. Leaky gut, what causes it and tips to support it, the importance of stimulating your vagus nerve, which is really interesting because I know both of us don't know too much about it. No.
0: And if you know Jenna, you know the girl loves to sing and he fully supported her
1: singing career today. You'll find out why. Hallelujah. And he also goes into nervous system, the importance of meditation, mindfulness, and breath work because those were key factors into healing his digestive system. I think you're gonna have a lot of light
0: bulb moments today It's very simple. He breaks it down, and I think you leave this episode with tips and tricks that you can pick up and really easily integrate into your daily life to help your gut health, and that's what we're here for. We want the tiny tricks. We want the easy to implement. We want the basics here, and I think that Dr. Pedre really gave that to
1: us today. Yeah, so without further ado, let's welcome Dr. Pedre to Gut Talk.
0: so much for joining today. We're really excited. Obviously, our podcast is called Gut Talk because we care so much about gut health. And just a little bit of background for you and maybe for listeners that aren't super familiar with our stories. I had IBS starting when I was 12, maybe maybe before that and we just didn't know. But I joke that we grew up in Northern Virginia. I joke that we, I know where every public restroom is in Northern Virginia because I always had to go and it was always an emergency. There was a lot of mom r- racing to the nearest Target, Costco, anywhere and just like lining wow. for the bathroom. And I also went to multiple gastroenterologists and um, your book actually really resonated. There was Jenna sent me a screenshot actually of a page and you basically describe all these symptoms that someone who you saw had and you said, you know, maybe you might resonate with her because she had, I think, a colonoscopy and they said, hey, everything looks good. It's probably just stress. Calm down and you'll be good. They actually tried to put me on antidepressants in college, not because I was depressed, but because they were trying to slow the signal from my gut to my brain down. And to make a really long story short, uh, it wasn't until I was 23 years old, fully out of college, that we went to someone more holistic. And she was like, oh, all of this is fixable. And it was like, what? I felt like it was the ultimate Christmas present birthday gift mm-hmm. ever in life to be able to hear those words. Because I no one had ever told me, hey, you can do something about this. So I know we're going to dive into a lot of gut health topics today, but... What you said in your book really hit home for me because I'm like, yes, I feel seen. <laughs> that was me for a decade, literally. But that's why we're so excited to talk to you today about a number of different gut health issues. And I I had IBS, but Jenna had bloating, a lot of it, the painful, hard bloating. And so we wanted to talk about bloating, I think, to kick it off, right? Mm-hmm. The best way to start is like, can you go into a little bit of what causes bloating?
2: Yeah, so one of the uh, most common and biggest gut complaints, right, is bloating. If you ask people what do, they, what do they most suffer from, and it's bloating. The thing is that bloating, again, is just this one big word, this umbrella. Like you think bloating is one thing, your pants don't fit, you feel like your belly's sticking out, you've got to loosen the top of your pants, or you're wearing elastic pants because you know you're going to get bloated and you just want to be able to just be comfortable but bloating, even though it's this, this thing that seems to be one thing, it could be caused by a whole bunch of different issues. So it could be a dysbiosis, and that means an imbalance between good and bad bugs in the gut, but that could be bad bacteria, that could be parasites, that could be yeast overgrowth, um, it could be food sensitivities, And it could also mean that you have actually too many bacteria growing in the small intestine, something called small intestine bacterial overgrowth, which we talk about both in holistic circles as well as Western medicine. The lesser known entity is SIFO, which is small intestine fungal overgrowth, which can happen at the same time as SIBO, or it can happen as a result of having been treated for SIBO. Now, bloating could also mean that you've got leaky gut, that you have digestive enzyme insufficiency, you might have low stomach acids, you're not breaking down your proteins well enough, so foods are not getting fully digested in your upper GI tract from the stomach to the small intestine, and then when they get down into your lower intestine, they're getting fermented by bacteria in your gut, and they're creating gas, and that, makes, that gives you that feeling that you're bloated, and you may or may not have gas when you're bloated, depends on if the gas is exiting or not. And then another really common cause for bloating is constipation, is just not going to the bathroom often enough, and if you're not emptying the pipes while you keep filling them with food, you know, Have I wonder if, if either of you can relate to this, I've heard people who eat because it's the time of day when you're supposed to eat, Mm -hmm. but you don't really feel like eating because you've been constipated, you don't feel quite right, you're not super hungry, and yet you're eating because the whole world has told you you should eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner, so you don't wanna miss a meal, but your body's saying, stop. (laughs) Like, no. Mm -hmm. Well, then you're gonna be bloated because you're eating more than what the pipes can handle. In that moment so there's a lot of different reasons and it doesn't mean that there has to be just one reason so one person might have three of these reasons why they're bloated and that's part of the magic of functional medicine and why i got so passionate with gut health in my own journey from being a medical traditionally trained western doctor to then doing um, training in acupuncture and then discovering functional medicine that There's, the the gut is much more complex than what they teach in traditional medical school.
1: Yeah, and I really actually want to get into that just a little bit, just so our audience can understand where you're coming from. So how did you make that transition more into functional medicine, maybe a little bit of a personal story as to how you, you know, now are in the functional medicine space? author of two books now and popular social media page that you've created.
2: Yeah, I mean, if you told me, even when I had just graduated from medical school that I would be here now, I would have thought you're nuts because uh, mm. I could have never envisioned this for myself. But at the same token, I think the, the desire for it was already inside. Um, there, there are many stories that I could tell that could answer this question from different angles, like the story of being a child with horrible constipation, then turning into IBS, having been on 20 plus rounds of antibiotics from the age of 10 through the age of 19, having destroyed my gut microbiome, developing food sensitivities to gluten and dairy and leaky gut, and living with that, thinking that that was gonna be my life sentence. Sound familiar? hmm yeah and <laughs> what really got me down this road and and kind of was a gift is that I almost didn't become a doctor I almost mm-hmm. forewent medical school I had done taken the MCATs I was slated to apply to medical schools and I told my parents I can't do this now the reason was because I was afraid of needles and whenever I had an injection, whenever I had a shot, whenever I had my blood drawn, I passed out. There, there was no way that I was gonna be around a needle and I would not be losing consciousness. Wow. Vasovagal response and next thing you knew, I, the, the room was turning black and I was out. And so I was really afraid that that one issue was going to prevent me from being able to be a doctor because how was I going, if I can't have a needle, like how was I going to handle needles and stick needles in people like, and, and that was the big elephant in the room for me. But it was actually the biggest gift because it led me to discover a book called The Relaxation Response. Now this is back in the 90s. You have to imagine when meditation, yoga, breath work is not mainstream. It is way out there in the corner. Very few people are doing it. The the crazy thing is, so my my family is from Cuba and I had my godfather who was Cuban and related to me. He was uh, my mom's cousin. He was pescatarian. He was Buddhist. He, He did yoga and he meditated and he would talk about that. The rest of the family would think it was a joke and they would make fun of him. And you know, the rest of us, because it wasn't in our norm, we were like, okay, he's kind of interesting, you know, look at him. And yet I think some of that must have filtered in. And when I discovered this book, The Relaxation Response, written by Herbert Benson, a Harvard-trained physician, I thought, okay, I can trust this. I'm gonna start doing these breathwork exercises because I need to conquer, I need to understand, why does my body rebel against me? You know, and people have gut issues, they probably, they feel the same. Like, why is my gut rebelling against me? And I discovered breath work and started diligently doing breath work. That led me to meditation. I started doing guided meditation. Again, I'm going to date myself. I was listening to CD, CD-ROMs mm-hmm. with my headsets. I had a portable <laughs> CD-ROM. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I would lie in my bed in my room at my parents' home and because I, I had like eight months off before medical school, I finished college early and I meditated every day for 30 minutes and I did my breath work exercises and little by little that internal state, that imbalance between my parasympathetics and sympathetics started shifting and I, and I basically was able to gain control over my autonomic nervous system which we think is not under our control. And actually this ties in and is so related to what I write in my book and what has shaped me. And I was able to conquer my fear of needles by learning how to breathe and to meditate and to visualize so I could change that internal state, that freak out that was happening that would put me into this fight or flight and I would pass out. And that shaped the type of doctor that I wanted to become. And around the same time that I was getting into yoga, meditation, breath work, I discovered Deepak Chopra, I discovered Andrew Weil, Spontaneous Healing, Quantum Healing. Those were the two big books that had come out in 95 when I was graduating from college. And I just devoured them. So by the time I got into medical school, I was meditating every day. I was doing yoga several times a week. And I had completely shifted the way I approached life and my mindset and was starting to rewire my brain. And the funny thing is, is that I was, you can imagine like a type A stressed out overachiever who knew he wanted to get into medical school. So to do that, you had to have a 4.0 GPA. You you're always have to be the, the highest in your class. I was valedictorian in high school, but inside I was a nervous, wreck, a nervous wreck, and I felt it in my gut. Anytime I had a performance, I used to play the piano, I was running to the bathroom. Whenever I had a test, I get if I got nervous, I'm running to the bathroom before the test. So I can totally relate to you, Jill, on those things. And I just discovered a really important way to access a system that is so powerful. And now, look at us, like 20 plus years later, like this is mainstream. This has become mainstream medicine, like mindfulness, meditation, yoga, breath work, and I was—I I guess I'm—I've always been kind of an outlier. Um, I, am I, an early adopter, before things catch on.
0: It's funny you say that because I was about to say like, now what you're describing and all the things you were doing daily—you're cool. Like in in yeah. today's world, you are goals. You are trendy. Back then you were probably considered like a weirdo if, you, if, if the word got out that you're doing all these well, things, right?
2: Let me say this. I was known as the Zen guy in mm. medical school because I never got stressed, but no one knew I was meditating. I would get home from school and the first thing I did when I got back from a day in classes is lie down and do a 30 minute guided meditation. And then I would go to the gym, do whatever else I was going to do for the evening. But I didn't tell them because it was so non-mainstream that I was afraid that if I told them, they would think like I'm this weirdo that's meditating. And I had one friend who was my confidant who was into yoga. We discovered we both like yoga. So we started going to yoga class together once a week. But most of them didn't know that I was meditating. I was like, I just kept that in my pocket that that's my little Mm. secret why I'm I'm so calm before tests. I never freak out about anything. And yet it it was such an important skill for me to develop. And and also I think in a very pharmaceutical driven culture where so many people want to take a pill, to not feel Mm -hmm. anxious, to not feel depressed, to not worry, that I was able to discover that that power is inside of us through very simple techniques of breathwork, meditation, mindfulness, which is why I write about that in my upcoming book about Smart Protocol, because I think this is, you know, my approach has always been mind, body, spirit, and I've been very inspired by the work of Deepak Chopra, Mark Hyman, Andrew Weil, and I really believe that the true medicine, when you're practicing real medicine, you're, you're helping a person at all those levels, integrate all parts of their being and that's why i think this part of it you know everybody wants to know what do i eat what do i you know what supplements to take do i take a probiotic do i not take a probiotic but you can't out supplement and you can't out diet a stressed out lifestyle
1: yeah it's it's actually jill explained a little bit of her story but um you know, my background, I was the anxious kid, like you said you were. I mean, so much so. I was, you know, I really competitive at soccer, and I would go to the bathroom. it's not TMI on gut talk. I would go to the bathroom before every single game because my gut brain connection, my autonomic nervous system, was not good. And everyone, our family just looked at it as Genesis just this nervous Nelly. we were we would get so
0: we are like, we drove all the way to Pennsylvania the game's about to start Jenna's the starter but uh-huh. is she gonna start because she's on the toilet and it was so funny like, <laughs> our dad's like get off the
1: toilet right?
0: go play soccer like what's wrong with you
1: but the, what I' why I brought that up is because one that was such a big part of my life but two goodness did I wish I could have had that you know meditation and mindful practice m- mindfulness practice like you did. When you were in school or younger, because I had none of that. Everyone just looked at it as Jenna's just a nervous Nelly. And so I have and I'm still trying to tackle. And I would love to to hear that you've rewired your brain and I've done a lot of that work. And I know that when that work, when I'm not doing it, is when I kind of lose that control a little bit more. But I, I would love for you to dive a little bit more in Is okay brain-gut connection, the autonomic nervous system, what are things that people can do and how do we really tackle, you you mentioned yoga, meditation, if you can go a little bit more into that because I know it's so connected and, I mean, goodness, how many of us are stressed out these days as everyone would call it.
2: I I think also, not just how many people are stressed out mentally, Mm -hmm. but how many people are biophysically stressed through the way they live their lives because I have a lot of patients who don't think that they're stressed, and then when, when I take an inventory of their lives, they're rushing to work, they're constantly traveling for work, they're eating lunch really fast, then they have a work dinner, they have to go entertain, they have some drinks, and I tell them, you know, even if you don't think you're mentally stressed, your body is freaking out. Your body is is biophysically stressed, and it's. In taking that, and what biophysical stress can do is it deactivates your vagus nerve. Now to understand, so you mentioned gut-brain connection, and when we think of the gut-brain connection, well, how are they connected? They're connected in many different ways, but one of the main ways is through the vagus nerve. And if we can go back in time to the time before cell phones, the time when we had wired phones that you had to pick up, and when you picked up the phone, the first thing you heard was a dial tone that told you the phone is working. Well, think of that dial tone. So that vagus nerve is the telephone wire connecting your brain and your gut and your gut to your brain, except 80% of the wiring is pointing up to your brain, not down to your gut. So only 20% is coming from brain to gut, 80% from gut to brain. And <clears throat> that's why in, in my book, when I was working with the the, infra, the graphic designer to make the infographics, we made a gut brain connection infographic that shows the brain and the vagus nerve and then the stomach. And I was like, you know, let's make this cartoon-like. Let's put some eyes in the stomach, like cartoon mm-hmm. eyes. And then let's make it look like the stomach is speaking. And then let's put an old telephone right next to the, the stomach. And the thing is that when you lose vagal tone, then, your digestive system is not gonna function properly. So ways to know that you've lost vagal tone. You have a pit in your stomach. You eat and the food sits like a rock in your stomach. It feels like it's not emptying. An hour after you eat, two hours after you eat, you still feel like you just finished eating. You feel bloated, you don't feel so good. Maybe you start burping really quickly after you eat. Signs that your stomach acid is low, that you're not making enough stomach acid. And, um, maybe you're constipated because the rhythmic contractions of your intestines are not happening. All of these are downstream effects from having low vagal tone. The vagus controls secretion of digestive enzymes, stomach acid, it controls the rhythmic contractions of the intestines, and it also controls gut permeability. So even though it's only 20% brain to gut, that 20% is quite important for the functioning of the gut. And then in return, those vagal, that vagal nerve and its nerve endings in the gut itself, they have these receptors we call 5-HT receptors. And that's for um, 5-hydroxytryptamine, which is serotonin. So serotonin is being produced by certain specialized cells in the gut called enteroendocrine cells, but also by the gut microbiome. And when that receptor senses the serotonin, it sends a signal from the gut up to the brain. And the gut is telling the brain, this is my situation, this is how things are going. The interesting thing is when what gets released on the other side is a, in some parts of the brain, when the vagus nerve fires is GABA. GABA is a neurotransmitter that tells your nervous system, shh, quiet down. Everybody chill out. It's the Zen neurotransmitter. So you do you want GABA in your brain. You don't want to be imbalanced because then you're you're all agitated, you're wired, you, you never you don't get good sleep because you just can't relax. And so that's that's one way that the brain and the gut communicate very important way, but they also communicate chemically through the bloodstream. So when, you're, when you eat and those nutrients get broken down, certain nutrients that we call resistant starches or prebiotics are food for your gut bacteria. When they get down into your lower intestine, they start to get fermented. And our bacteria then produce these Products of metabolism, we call them postbiotics. So probiotic are good bacteria, postbiotic is, are the metabolites that they create. And one of the most important ones are known as short chain fatty acids. And out of those, the most important one is called butyrate. Butyrate is really special and important because butyrate helps the colon cells be healthy. It helps improve insulin sensitivity But because it's a short chain fatty acid, it's fat soluble. So it crosses that blood brain barrier that keeps the brain kind of in a protected circulation. And when it gets to the brain, it turns on a gene that secretes BDNF. BDNF is like fertilizer for your brain. It tells your brain, let's create new neural connections. Let's create new memories. Let's improve our ability to learn. So in a sense, your gut bacteria are also controlling your ability to remember, to form memories, to learn new things. And so you see that these gut-brain connection are so, um, there's so many different permutations of what that means. And then the other layer of it is that if you have this condition called leaky gut, where your gut becomes more permeable, so um, think of the gut as a coffee filter, let's say. And when you're making coffee through a coffee filter, you have the coffee grounds on one side and you're gonna pour hot water through. Now you don't want coffee grounds in your coffee, right? You just want this beautifully infused coffee scented water with all the the special characteristics that are in, in the coffee bean. But you don't want parts of the bean or the grounds inside which would be the equivalent of things getting into your body but if you have leaky gut it's like taking that coffee filter and now I'm going to take a small pin or a needle and I'm going to start poking a bunch of holes in this coffee filter then I'm going to put the coffee grounds in then I'm going to pour the hot water over so I'm doing a, a nice pour over coffee mm-hmm. so you know artisanal and then as you pour the hot water through it's going to Those holes are going to allow some of those coffee grounds to get through. That's that's what happens when your gut is leaky, except what's getting through are bacterial products, bacterial DNA, something called endotoxin, which is super inflammatory, partially digested proteins. So you develop food allergies, food sensitivities. Your body becomes inflamed because the more leaky your gut is, the more um, inflamed your body is. And when you have a leaky gut, you develop a leaky blood-brain barrier. So you've got all this inflammation coming in through your gut. Your blood-brain barrier becomes leaky. And now your brain is not protected from substances that could potentially be harmful to the brain. And the brain becomes inflamed. And what is one example of an inflamed brain? Depression. Well, now you see the connection between the gut and depression, and there's also connections between the gut and anxiety. So it's, there's so many different ways that the gut affects our brain health, but I think the, the most important takeaway is to understand that if you have a mental health issue, if you have anxiety, depression, if you have uh, mental fog, if you can't remember well, you've got to look down below and think about what's happening in your gut.
0: So, I love that. I think all of that is great and it's really helpful to understand how those things are actually connected. If you're listening right now and you're like, okay, that sounds like me because I either have brain fog or I've been told I have leaky gut, what do you do? Like, where I know you talked about yoga and meditation and, and really slowing down. You also mentioned making sure that you're calm when you're eating not, be, not living as stressed of a lifestyle, but I also heard you say butyrate. I take butyrate because I'll, I am very stressed, we're working on it, but um, I am someone who will burp a lot after a meal and um, I will get really nauseous, actually, sometimes after I eat. Who can, how do you know to take butyrate? Because I still, I talk to Jen all the time. She's like, you need to take butyrate. And I'm like, but what, why? Like, how do I know that I need it?
2: Let's break it down into parts. So first of all, I mentioned this earlier, burping is a sign of low stomach acid, especially if it starts happening right after you, like right when you're eating, like within minutes. And it feels like you're forming gas. Now it could be like, maybe you're drinking a sparkling water like I have in this glass right here. Maybe you're eating your food too fast, so you're gulping in some air with your food, that could lead to burping. But if you're chewing your food well and you're still like start to burp, that's a sign that maybe your stomach acid is low and your stomach is not breaking down protein properly. So you've got to think about maybe you need betaine HCl to supplement some of that stomach acid and get your stomach to to create more acid. And you might also need some zinc carnosine for the stomach lining to help heal the lining so that your stomach can start creating its own acid. And then let's backtrack a little more to what I said before gotta work on helping that vagus nerve improve its function. We've got to, we want to create better vagal tone. And I talk about these things in my book, Gut Smart, uh, including things like breath work with humming, singing, things that create vibration here in the vocal cord because the vagus nerve passes from down from the brain on both sides of the neck, right around the vocal cords. So when you create a vibration vocal cords, you're stimulating that vagus nerve. There's also different e devices that can be used. There's one called alpha Stim that can help activate the vagus nerve through the earlobes. So there's a lot of different ways that you can hack the system. Now butyrate, I was explaining, is a postbiotic product produced by a bacterium. You can also take it as a supplement. If you open a, a bottle of butyrate, It's going to smell like rotten eggs, and you're going to think that your supplement went bad, but no, it did not go bad. It's just the way it smells. And butyrate can be really healing for people who have mold exposure, people with chronic Lyme, uh, with chronic infections where they've had uh, a lot of damage to the gut, um, gut lining and leaky gut and also have an overactive immune system because butyrate is going to help calm down that immune system. It's going to help rebuild the gut lining. But ultimately, we want to support those butyrate producers inside the gut. And how can you do that? Well, one of the best ways is to support microbial diversity by eating fermented foods. Now you're gonna say, well, what happens? You know, not everyone can eat fermented foods and that's why when I was putting together my second book, The Gut Smart Protocol, I wanted to create a personalized plan because I realized that no two guts are the same, so how can people's diets be the same if your gut isn't the same? It's not functioning the same. One person can eat one thing and they're fine um, like my older sister, I used to joke she has an iron stomach, whereas I was the canary in the coal mines who was born with a very sensitive stomach and I couldn't just eat anything because I didn't know how it was going to sit or I was going to be running to the bathroom. So supporting the gut microbiome, first personalizing it, understanding if you take the gut smart quiz in my book, it tells you if you're mild, moderate, or severe. People who fall into the severe category cannot have fermented foods. But I'm gonna tell you why fermented foods can be so powerful as so we think of how do we feed the microbiome? We think of prebiotics, think of eating a lot of fiber. And we thought that that's what created microbial diversity until a study was published by Stanford University in 2021 where they took a group of women. It was about 18 women. They split them into two groups. One, it was a fiber rich diet. One was a high fermented foods diet and they looked at them over 10 weeks. They measured a whole bunch of things, including stool microbial diversity and inflammatory markers and immune function. And what they found was that, you know, and, in, and let, me, let me preface this by saying that in functional medicine, we teach eat the rainbow, eat a lot of fiber, get a lot of different plant-based foods. That's gonna be the best thing for your microbiome. That's gonna um, help promote microbial diversity. And that's how I was going into reading this study, thinking, you know, it's almost like which part wins? Is it the fiber rich? Is it the fermented foods? And turns out that it was the fermented foods, the high fermented foods uh, group, that had a change in their microbial diversity, so improved microbial diversity. And for anybody who's listening, just think diversity is good and lack of diversity, a narrow microbiome is bad. The less diverse your microbiome, the more likely you're going to de- develop something like inflammatory bowel disease or chronic uh, gut issues. So diversity is good. And we found that fermented foods support diversity, and they also lowered 19 inflammatory markers, wow. the high fiber diet group that did not happen. What did happen with them, you know, because I don't want people listening to this say, okay, now I'm just going to eat fermented food, forget (laughs) about all the fiber. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to start eating sauerkraut and kefir and yogurt and and all these things. And And then you're going to make yourself sick.
1: Sure.
2: The high fiber group, what it did is it modulated the immune response. And what that means is that it orchestrated the immune system, so that the immune system functioned appropriately, you know, the immune system needs a project manager. And for the immune system to function properly, you want it to react when it needs to react and you want it to not react when it shouldn't be reacting. And you want it to not overreact because when it overreacts, you develop an autoimmune disease. Right? Well, who's the project manager for our immune system? It's all the little tiny helpers. It's the gut bacteria. Mm-hmm. And they're controlled by what you eat. So fiber-rich diet, supported. But even within that group, they found that the group that did best was the one that started with a better microbial diversity. Interesting. So again, microbial diversity is the holy grail. And if you can eat fermented foods, what I did in my book is I divided people based on a Gut Smart quiz score into mild, moderate, or severe. And even if you're moderate, so severe, you can't have fermented foods. Your gut is not ready for it. They're going to make you sick. When you're moderate, you know we have to get out of the American way of thinking that if a little is good, a lot is going to be even better. Right. It, when it comes to things like ferments, you know, you're not going to do a cold plunge and jump right in. You're right. going to dip your toe in, and you're going to test it out. And I talk about in my book that you're, you might start with a quarter teaspoon. That's it, mm. like a tiny little amount in testing. And it might sound crazy, like a quarter teaspoon. That's so small. But I Have patients that are that sensitive. And you have, to, you have to travel really gingerly because if you go too fast, too quickly, then you make them sick and getting to eat them back even to where they started can be a bit of work. So it's almost better to go slower and err on the side of caution than to go too quickly thinking, well, this is good for me. I heard I should have yogurt. I should have all these things. But overlooking the body signals that are telling you, this is making me sick. I'm getting more bloated when I eat yogurt. But yogurt is good for me. So I should eat more of it. But then I get bloated, but I'm going to ignore that because the yogurt is good for me. No, you can't, don't ignore your body signals.
1: Right. I, I love that. And I think that's a very important point because being in the gut health space, we are constantly being asked, what probiotics should I take? And what fermented foods do you eat? And I think it's really important to note, and I believe part of it is due to a histamine reaction. You can correct me if I'm wrong, but...
2: Yeah, it could be a multitude of issues, but I'll, I'll let you ask. What
1: are symptoms besides bloating maybe that people might see when it comes to eating fermented foods? And also, I know probiotics are easily equated with gut health, but I think it's that, I want to make that point that you just made of, probiotics aren't for everyone, and it depends on what level you're at when it comes to having gut issues.
2: Yeah. And, and just to kind of circle back and, and look back to the question that Jill had asked earlier about the butyrate and should I take butyrate and how do you know? You know, it's kind of like you need clinical guidance. So you're working with a practitioner who can understand based on your symptoms and your, the course of, of your healing process over time, whether they're right or not, but ultimately we wanna support those butyrate producers which are supported through fermented foods and by supporting your gut microbiome because there's something else that happens in your gut that's called cross-feeding, where one bacteria supports another bacteria by producing postbiotic um, metabolites that are gobbled up by this other group of bacteria. So, so you understand this, it's a really complex ecosystem But going back to the ferments and the type of things, if fermented foods aren't right for you um, and you have histamine issues, for example, which are always, if you're histamine sensitive, it's because you have leaky gut, you've got a disturbed brush border, you're not making enough enzymes, and one of those enzymes is called DAO, or diamine oxidase, which breaks down histamine in your foods, so then you have to be really careful about eating foods that are high in histamine because your body's not gonna be able to handle it. But why is your body not able to handle It's because there's been a disturbance inside your gut. You have leaky gut, you have dysbiosis, you have imbalances. So you have to work on those first, and little by little, you'll be able to regain your tolerance for these foods. But if you have underlying SIBO, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, or SIFO, fungal overgrowth, and you have fermented foods, you're not gonna be able to tolerate them either. They're gonna make you bloated. Uh, if you have too many yeast, they can actually cause a severe die-off reaction. So you might get hives, you might get brain fog, headaches, migraines, you're not gonna feel well. So those are those are some of the the signs that you might get from eating ferments you're wondering, okay, why is this happening? Like, this is supposed to be good for me. Um, it's just a sign that it's still good it's just maybe not the right time and not in that amount
0: Mm. yeah that totally makes sense i think it's hard because again someone who's not properly educated with any sort of educational background on it i'm someone who wants answers so when i see someone on social media i send to Jen all the time oh would this be good for me do i need this And I think it's really hard for listeners at home, too, to hear, for instance, I take butyrate, and it helps a ton because of my burping, and I don't create enough stomach acid, and you relate to that, and so then you want to try it. But sometimes that's good, and sometimes it's bad. It's a little funny story. When I was first taking butyrate, it smells horrible, and so I, like, pour it into the cap, but before I realized that, I was in L.A. visiting a friend of mine, and we get into the elevator, and she turns me, and she goes, you smell terrible. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I just showered. Like, I don't know. And so we're like sniffing around. I'm like, oh my God, it's my hands. It smells so bad. It was hard to wash off my hands. But anyway, I, she was like, why are you It's a very, it? like,
2: it's a very potent smell. Mm-hmm. Yes. But I want to, I want to speak to something that you said, you know, you're not an expert, but you are the best expert in your body, mm-hmm. on your body. Yeah. And, And this is not just for you, this is for everyone who's listening out there because I know there are people out there that are listening that think you have to go to an expert, but this doctor and they go to this doctor and they tell me one thing and you go to this other expert and they tell you a different thing. Ultimately, what I try to teach people is how to be their own health guru, how to be your own doctor by really developing that sense of intuition. And it's so interesting because a lot of times these patients are gut health patients and what is our center of intuition? We're sensing things through our gut. You know, we always talk about gut intuition. That's because the gut brain has more neural connections than our own brain. And we feel things, you know, we're digesting we're, our emotions through our gut. You feel things in your gut. And I think one of the most powerful things is to develop that intuition. I talk about it in my book is the importance of developing that, that awareness uh, that happens before a meal when you're feeling hungry and you're saying, your brain is saying, you know, I kind of crave asparagus, you know, and, and I need some protein. And you don't know why. It might not be logical, but there's an intuition there. Your body's telling you something. And then while you're eating, be, tuning in and recognizing when did you eat enough? You know, are you still eating because you're hungry? Are you eating because you're nervous? Are you eating because you're trying to just occupy the time or distract your mind? And then the most important one, the post-meal intuition, when you're, you're feeling how you feel right after you ate, and maybe you don't feel so great, and you keep a journal and you start writing down, like, okay, I ate this, I felt bloated, I started burping within 10 minutes of eating, and, well, what did you eat? And then write it and start looking for patterns, you know, because it can be, it's different for different people. And even though I created these mega food lists that tell you what you can eat and not eat if you're mild, moderate, or severe in your Gut Smart score, um, I still, in my book, talk about the importance of intuition because no meal plan, even one where I've divided things into different categories can pick up exactly what's right for every single person out there. And so there is an intelligence in you, so I don't want you to discount that, uh, because I also, you know, some of my greatest teachers have been my patients.
0: Yeah, what about, uh, I don't, you touched on this, what your body says, oh, I need some protein or I need some asparagus, listen to that. What about the people that say, the intuitive eating is telling them that they need Hershey's Kisses and a yes. Pop-Tart. Like, yeah. can, you, can you talk about that a little bit?
2: Well, there are some macro <laughs> recommendations, like don't have processed foods. But if you're craving these foods like beyond the need to survive, right? So you're, you're just overeating these foods. This is no longer something that's n- nourishing you it could be that your yeast uh, that your gut has been hijacked by yeast and those yeasts are sending signals to your brain that's telling your brain i want more sugar and you think it's you wanting the sugar no again it's the project manager in your gut now it's a bad one it's the yeast saying i'm going to make him or her think that they need more sugar and i mean i've seen that with patients like they can't stop eating sugar We figure out that they have a yeast overgrowth. You do interventions to kill off the yeast and suddenly their sugar cravings disappear.
1: Yeah, that happened to me. I had an overgrowth of Candida and I constantly craved sugar um, or even like processed carbs and things like that. And it was this frustration because I understood health. I knew this these things were benefiting me, but I kept being like, why do I feel this way? And it was that yeast candida overgrowth. I would love if you could dive a little bit deeper into that because I think that plagues a lot of people on a day to day basis. And Jill mentioned the intuitive eating because there's a beautiful space in social media of the intuitive eating community, but I think some of it gets a little bit skewed because people are talking about cravings, maybe not knowing that those cravings are not coming from their mind or their emotions, but more coming from those gut bugs.
2: Yeah. So, so craving is in the brain and true hunger, you feel it mm. in your body, in your throat, in your stomach. But a craving is kind of think of it like a wave. And it gets really intense and powerful. And if you give in to it, you know, you might end up eating a whole box of cookies. Right. Right? But a craving is not about survival. So if you when that craving hits, if you recognize, if you took a kind of an observer status and stepped outside and looked at yourself, and you're like, oh. It's really interesting. It's ten o'clock at night, and I really want some chocolate chip cookies, or I want some milk chocolate, or I want to open the fridge and have that Häagen-Dazs, and ask you, and and just be an observer and be like, oh, that's interesting. I wonder what else is going on right now. Am I feeling anxious about something? Is something bothering me? Do, am I? Is there an emotion that's coming out up that maybe I'm not really connecting with? And what if you sit? and you do some breath work or maybe do a meditation for 20 minutes. And then check in with yourself and see do you still have that craving because the craving usually peaks and it drops within 20-25 minutes. If you sit down and you do a relaxing thing or sometimes I like people to do a ritual like have a kava tea so then you still feel like you're giving yourself something, you know, because sometimes it's very hard when, when there's that need for oral stimulation that you're eating something it's hard to replace it so i like substituting with something that is a, a substitute habit that's healthier so like having an herbal tea or kava tea something to really soothe the nerves or a peppermint tea maybe with a little bit of raw honey and sip it slowly let those 20 minutes pass do some breath work and then check in again and see do i still really want that cookie or that chocolate or that ice cream, I bet you more than half of the time craving mm-hmm. is gone. If you were hungry, if you really needed to heat, you would still be hungry 20 minutes later. Mm-hmm. That won't go away. But cravings, they peak and they drop. No one does. No you know, when they're that. peaking, it feels like you're like this monster, like that you yes. cannot think. like. Like, the only thing that's on your mind is, like, is
1: that food? where
2: is the sugar? And if it isn't, you're going to be getting in the car, you're going to be going to the supermarket, mm-hmm. and you're going to buy all the things right. that you want to eat, you know?
0: Yes. Oh, well, sometimes we do. <laughs> right, and we do.
2: <laughs> you know, and it. and there are those moments, you know, where it's you do it, and then you just have to forgive yourself afterwards. Yeah, you yeah, know? absolutely. Um, I, I also really believe in in not... Uh, I think when you get too orthorexic and too, you know, where you, you put yourself into a straight jacket where you can't deviate, then when you deviate, then you throw in the kitchen and you throw in the towel with the kitchen and um, you end up punishing yourself.
1: Yeah. And I think that's a really good point because that was happening to me when I uh, had candida and I was trying to, you know, and at the point three years ago when I was trying to fix my gut, it became the complete opposite spectrum of no sugar, no, you know, processed carbs. And it, you know, one could call that orthorexia. We're, we don't need to get deep into that I've come out on the other side of that but I think it's it's something to note because I think there's that balance that we can have of really working to heal our gut but also recognizing that I don't know exactly how you would explain it but I would say a little bit isn't going to cause an array of gut issues and send you back into turmoil
2: look a little bit might bring you some happiness in that moment mm-hmm.
1: and exactly it
2: might be like the nice thing to do so you feel like you're Free and you can breathe and life isn't always restricted which is also a really important part of life it's just when it then becomes the slippery slope and you and and you fall down and start eating sugar every day that's where it gets bad so it's kind of like managing those pieces and i think you know when you go through these healing journeys it's such a bigger journey it's about healing guilt healing fear healing control, it's like so many other things are manifesting through our guts. That's why I I find it like I I could talk about this forever.
0: Mm -hmm. I have another question that we haven't necessarily touched on too deeply. I have a lot of friends that I've seen over time where there's this pattern of they're really bloated so then they don't eat that much because they don't wanna be more bloated but then they don't poop. And so it's this cycle of not eating, bloating, not pooping. But then you're bloated because you're not pooping. If you're in that cycle, I think we see it a lot with women. I'm not sure about men, but I see it all the time in just friends' daily life. We talk about poop a lot in our daily life. <laughs> because of health. Um, Where do you start?
2: I mean, first you want to figure out why is is the person not pooping? Why are they holding on to stool? Um, is the system hyperwired? Is the vagus nerve not activated? Uh, are there gut microbiome disturbances? You know, and, and of course, practical things like magnesium supplements, analyzing the diet. You know, Are they having too much dairy, which can be constipating? Are they eating too many gluten-free products with almond flour, which can be a really big binder? So you think you're doing the right thing, but you're actually binding yourself. Are you a carbitarian, like eating too many carbs, not enough vegetables? You're not getting enough fiber, roughage to move things down. Are you a couch potato? Are you sitting too much? Are you not getting enough exercise? Because exercise is gonna also help stimulate digestion, peristalsis. So, really, always drilling down to what are the underlying um, issues and also kind of listening to your body. Like, if you're not hungry, don't eat because it's just going to f- feel worse. Uh, but figuring out why, what are the underlying issues why the body's holding on to stool and not releasing? And, you know, it can be at multiple levels. You know, what is the person holding on to? What are they not releasing? What are, where, what are where the areas in their lives where maybe they're holding on to grudges, not forgiving, um, you know, it, it it can go in multiple levels.
0: Yeah, I, I like this because we've talked about IBS maybe going too much, the leaky gut. We've talked about the constipation and burping. I feel like we've we've hit a lot of people here today. I feel like everyone's gonna have something where you're like, oh, that's probably me at least a little bit, and I know. Today's world is just not built for slowing down when we're eating, uh, having a maybe even like a slower morning where you're not rushing out the door, or starting your day in a really stressful state. I'm the most guilty person of that. Like, mm-hmm. I wake up, but I'm just like panic button. <laughs> like, what do I have to do? What do I do? My, and I hit the I, snooze I didn't, button.
2: I didn't put this in my book, the Got Smart Protocol, mm-hmm. but um, I have a morning routine that changes okay. depending on where I'm at. Uh, Right now, I'm in Miami Beach, so my morning routine is to wake up before, yeah. Uh, (laughs) I wake up before sunrise, but as the the sky is starting to brighten up, and I sit and I do a a 20-minute meditation, and then I go into the beach and I jump in the ocean, Mm -hmm. and that's how I start my day, and that's my routine before I do anything else. I don't look at my phone, I don't start checking email, I don't check text messages, Um, And I find that having those rituals is super important, uh, aside from having rituals around what, you know, eating and breath work and, and kind of checking in with how your state is. You know, we talk about that in the book, like breath work to do right before you're about to eat, like check in with your body. Are you right now? Are you like wired? Like, because if you are, you're not ready to receive that food. And if so, take three deep breaths let's calm your body down and then start eating. It doesn't, the thing is it doesn't take that long. It doesn't have to be that long. It could just be three deep breaths in your busy day, but even just having that little pause is giving your body that safety signal that it needs in order to be able to change its internal environment and get into a state where you're more relaxed and you can digest your food.
1: You said, at the beginning rewiring. And I think some of it is rewiring your brain through forming habits, or as you said, rituals that you start implementing on the day-to-day. Because I know for at least myself, I'll speak for myself, doing those things has made such a profound impact on how I feel, such as taking those few deep breaths before I eat my meal to get into that parasympathetic rest and digest state. And, you know, if people are listening right now, I think that's such an amazing thing to recognize is what are you doing in your daily life that may not be serving you in terms of if you don't feel good, it could be due to some of the practices you have in place, like Jill said, getting up and sprinting out the door and starting your day that way. Yeah, Yeah,
2: yeah, stop blaming other things and look in the mirror and ask yourself, well, what piece of this can I own? And part of... You know, I would say part of becoming an adult is recognizing the behaviors that create better health for you and and a much uh, more balanced existence that maybe you don't feel like doing every day. You know, like so the other day I woke up, I didn't want to get out of bed, but I I basically went and sat up and meditated with my eyes closed, with an eye mask on because I was still half asleep, mm-hmm. but I'm dedicated to it because I know how it changes my day when I do that, even if I don't feel like doing it. So sometimes you gotta push yourself past that resistance and do something that you don't feel like doing, but you know is good for you. And and that I think is the responsibility that comes with getting older, is, is recognizing that life is not haphazard. And if you're haphazard about the way you're taking care of yourself, then you're gonna get haphazard results. If you want consistent results, then you have to be consistent with the ways that you take care of yourself.
0: Yeah, there's a woman that we follow, her name's Melissa Wood, and she has a meditation app and Instagram following. And she says, how bad do you want to feel good? Because she talks about getting up every single day before her little tiny kids, and she's like, Five thirty sometimes is so brutal, but how bad do I want to feel good? And that's exactly what you're saying, I think. I know. Um, I think I when we Melissa, dropped this, I've been. Oh, do you? Okay. Yeah,
2: I've been to Mind Body Green conference with her. I actually oh, sat cool. next to her on a flight. I think from. Arizona to New York. Uh, yeah, so oh. I, I yeah, know. we love
0: her. We love her. Well, I think one thing that we're going to do is when we drop this episode, we're going to post three things we want to start and maybe three things we're looking to maybe stop to help ourselves and kind of get a little dial going cuz that I think there's so many things people can take out of today's episode and we still have so much more to talk about. We're going to have to bring you on again yeah. and do a part two. We've talked like, for a John, long
2: time. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, talk and, for a very long time. And I, I have a gift for your listeners. If, uh, if your listeners go to gutsmartprotocol.com forward slash gift, they can download a free chapter from my upcoming book, The Gutsmart Protocol, with some little surprises, and um, get into the email list and, you know, just... Uh, learn more about how gut healing can improve your overall wellness and well-being
1: cool that's very exciting it sounds like there's quizzes and stuff that you can take too if i'm guessing we haven't gotten a chance to obviously read it we're excited to read it when it comes out in april but to kind of figure out where you stand and then do things based off of what status you're at am i getting am i catching on to some things
2: yeah yeah and if you pre-order the book you actually get five special bonuses One of them is the Gut Smart quiz where you can at least, even though the book isn't out, you can start to figure out, hey, am I a mild? Am I a moderate? Am I a severe? And start to get an idea of where you're going to have to work or how much you're going to have to work on healing your gut.
1: Cool. Well, we'll link that in the show notes. And we just really appreciate you coming on. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on. I feel like this has been so
0: helpful and we look forward to having you on again soon for a part two.